happy that Krishna got married to Rukmini Devi. <laughs> so, <clears throat> and who is Rukmini? Rukmini is Mahalakshmi. Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and Rukmini is his eternal consort. And through, through all his wives, how many wives did Krishna have? Now mind you, for every single wife, every single queen, Krishna had a palace. So you can well imagine how big Dwarka was. At least Krishna alone had 16,108 palaces. And what to speak of other palaces that others And through each wife, each queen, Krishna had ten children. They all were endowed with the similar potency that Krishna had. They all had the same qualities that Krishna had because they're Krishna's expansions. Krishna's children are Krishna's expansions. So, <clears throat> but Krishna's first child through Rukmini was Pradumna. Now, uh, we have seen time and time again that Krishna's pastimes are inconceivable. We, can, we generally think, oh, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and everything will be so wonderful. But in Krishna's pastimes, we see that things are not really that wonderful. Krishna's pastimes are actually wonderfully inconceivable. We can't understand why Krishna does that. But at least one understanding is there that through his pastimes, Krishna teaches us a lesson. And one of the one most important lesson is that difficulties may come, but don't get overwhelmed with difficulties. Can you imagine the difficulties that Krishna had? Difficulties that Krishna's parents had? Like they were in prison. They were in prison. In shackles. Krishna was born in a prison. Can you imagine? No one is there was there to attend Mother Devaki. So through that, what do we learn? If there is difficulties in your life, just compare it with Krishna's difficulty. <coughs> that is the purpose. That is what Krishna is teaching. 
in material nature, all kinds of things will happen. But don't get overwhelmed. Because at the end, everything will be wonderful. As I gave the example the other day, the father is throwing the child. So don't worry about the throwing part of it. Just consider the catching part of it. That is the real fun. That is the real purpose. So, when Pradumna was not even 10 days old, there was a demon called Sambarasura. He somehow got to know, actually from Narakuni, <laughs> that Krishna's son, Pradumna, will kill him. Sambarasura, as, as we already saw, what do the demons try to do? Demons try to avoid their death. They always consider how to avoid death. And the more demoniac they are, the more they go out of their way to stop that possibility. So Sambarasura was just waiting when Krishna's son would be born. And he stole the son. Pradumna was stolen. And then Pradumna, he Sambarasura took this newborn baby and threw the baby in the ocean. And in the ocean, a big fish swallowed him. That big fish was caught by a fisherman. And the fisherman, seeing this prize catch, decided that this should be given to the king. So he took the fish and gave it to Sambarasura. So Sambarasura called his head cook and said, uh, okay, a very special fish. So you make some nice preparation out of that. So the head cook took the fish to the kitchen. And when he was cutting the fish, fish's belly, generally uh, they cut the fish from the belly. And when he cut the belly, this baby came out from the belly of the fish. So now, who is this Pradumna? Pradumna is actually Kamdev, mother. How many of you remember what happened to him? Mother has another name, Ananga. Ananga means? Anga means body, An means no. No body. This personality, doesn't have a body. In English, he is called, is known as Cupid. So, this Ananga lost his body. You know how? How many of you know that? Okay, how many of you want to hear that? Okay. You know that 
Lord Shiva, when got the news that Sati, again another story. <laughs> Sati was the daughter of Daksha. Daksha insulted Lord Shiva in front of Sati. So Sati could not tolerate uh, to hear the blasphemy about her husband. So she left her body. How many of you knew this? Okay, better response. <laughs> so, <clears throat> when Lord Shiva got the news, he actually picked up the body of Sati and started to dance what is known as Tandavanrita. Mad, wild dance. And Lord Shiva, what does Lord Shiva do? He is the Lord of Destruction. So when Lord Shiva dances, the whole creation is about to be destroyed. So uh, the creation is about to be destroyed and Lord Shiva is in, in total rage and completely lost himself. He is dancing with Shatir's body on his shoulder. So Brahma and other demigods went and approached Lord Krishna. Please do something about it. So then Narayan released his Sudarshan Chakra. And Sudarshan Chakra started to cut the body of Sati. Her body was cut into 51 pieces. And those 51 pieces fell in 51 different places. And they are known as the Dham of the Deva, Tirthas of the Deva. So, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden Lord Shiva noticed Shrati's body is not there. So he became peaceful. And he sat down and meditated. So, in the meantime, you remember yesterday, Muchukunda, uh, the demons were attacking and the demigods did not really have a proper general to defend them. So, Muchukunda was actually defending the demigods. But the demigods felt that they need a general. They needed a general. Now, uh, who would be their general? Brahma said the general has to be a very powerful personality. And that personal, powerful personality can come only through Lord Shiva and Parvati. Because Shati has now born as the daughter of Himalayas, Parvati. So, Parvati was approached, your you have to break the meditation of Lord Shiva. So Parvati went, but she couldn't break the meditation of Lord Shiva. Because Lord Shiva was so absorbed in his trance. So then the demigods approached Kamdev. What does Kamdev do? Kamdev arouses the amorous feelings 
the feeling for uh, the attraction for the opposite sex is actually the work of counting or Cupid. So they said, come, told Kamdev, look, uh, you have to do something. You have to create uh, with your, you have to shoot your arrows, uh, the flower arrows, uh, to Lord Shiva. So that his meditation would break and he would uh, become attracted to Parvati. Kamdev said, Please forgive me. I am not going to do that. Breaking Lord Shiva's meditation, he'll be so upset that I'll be finished. The demigod said, Look, we'll protect you. Don't worry. This is needed, it's a dire necessity. So, being persuaded by the demigods, Kamdev, Kandarpa came to the place where Lord Shiva was lost in his meditation. And hiding behind the bush, he shoots some arrows. And being struck by those arrows, Lord Shiva's meditation broke. And he was very upset. Who did it to me? And he just looked at Kandarpa. And his glance was enough to burn him to nothing. <laughs> so that is how he became Ananda, devoid of Ananda. So now this Kamdev Pradumna is born as, I'm sorry, Kamdev is born as Krishna's son, Pradumna. And Kamdev's wife was waiting for him to come again. Her name is Rati. Rati was in Sambarashura's protection. She was in her serving in his kitchen. And the head cook, when he found the baby, he gave it to and at that time Narad Muni came there and Narad Muni told who this boy actually is. Son of Krishna, Pradumna, Sambarasuras told him, threw him in the ocean, the fish swallowed him and now he has come to you. So please take care of him. And Rati also could recognize, although a little baby, she could recognize that this is her husband. So somewhere then um, she started to take care of the boy. And in a very short time he became fully mature young man. And Rati told that actually you are destined to kill Sambarasura. Sambarasura is endowed with all kinds of mystic power. So it will be very difficult for you to defeat him. But I'll give you a mantra that will 
defeat his mystic power. So then Pradumna went to Sambhavasana and challenged him to a battle. Sambhavasana took his mess, huge mess, and he hurled it towards Pradumna. Then Pradumna, with his mess, he deflected that. And in this way, a terrible fight ensued between two of them. And then Pradumna tried to attack Sambhara but Sambhara disappeared all of a sudden, vanished. And he went up in the sky and from the sky he started to hurl all kinds of weapons. And Pradumna was completely overwhelmed being attacked in that way. He couldn't see and all that was happening was the weapons were coming at him and there was no way he could actually deal with the person. So he was deflecting those weapons, but it was becoming difficult. So Rati reminded that, remember that Mahamaya mantra. So when he started to chant this Mahamaya mantra, then Sambarasura's mystic power became ineffective and he just appeared there. Pradumna could see him. And with a sharp sword, he cut off his sambaras, cut off sambaras with his head. So then they together, they went to Dwarka. When Pradumna arrived there, in the main, in the inner house, then the, seeing him, the queens thought Krishna came, because he looked exactly like Krishna. Only Rukmini felt that this boy reminds me of my lost son. If my son was alive, then he would have been of this age. He would have looked just like this. And at that time Krishna came with Devaki and Vasudev. And Krishna didn't say anything. Everybody was wondering, who is this? Krishna, although he knew, he didn't say anything. But at that time, Narad Muni came and Narad Muni disclosed the fact to them. So this is how Pradumna returned to his father's palace. So this is how the story goes about Pradumna, how he got married to Rati, now another thing happened, Pradumna had a son, his first, I mean as I told, like Krishna had ten sons, Pradumna is the first one. So Pradumna's first son was Aniruddha. And there was a terrible demon called Vanasura. Vanasura was a worshipper of Lord Shiva. And he won such favor of Lord Shiva that Lord Shiva's family was there 
kind of attending Varnasura, like Kartik, Ganesh, and others. All the demigods were subservient to Varnasura. He became so powerful. Varnasura is actually the first son of Bali Maharaj. This is how, see, the line goes, as I was telling the other day. Not only the devotee's line or illustrious king's line, even the demon's line also is there. Like Hiranath, Brahma's son is Kashyap. Kashyap and Aditi's son is Hiranakashipu. Hiranakashipu's son is Prahlad. Prahlad's son is Virochan. Virachan's son is Bali. Bali's son is Banasura. Does it really sound like fairy tale? Which fairy tale will have such, uh, such uh, genealogical children? Like, uh, does anybody know Cinderella's father's name? <laughs> does anybody know Superman's grandfather? So that's the difference between fiction and fact. Do you know your father's name? Do you know your grandfather's name? And so forth, like, huh? like every family in India has the genealogical thing. So, <clears throat> Banasura was extremely powerful. And he, he, he was a great devotee of Lord Shiva. And as a result of that, Lord Shiva, actually at one time, Lord Shiva was dancing. And Vanasura had thousand hands. With thousand hands, Vanasura was playing 500 mridangas. So Lord Shiva became so pleased with him, he said, Vanasura, tell me what you want. I'm very pleased. So Vanasura said, you please protect my city. And as a result of that, Lord Shiva became obliged to protect Vanasura's city, which is called Shonitpur. You know what is the meaning of the Sanskrit word Shonit? Shonit means blood. And Pur means city. The city of blood. Uh -huh. So, and Lord Shiva was protecting that city with his whole family. Now, Banasura had a daughter. Her name was Usha, an extremely beautiful princess. And one night, Usha uh, had an amorous dream about one person. And she woke up and she started to call out to that person, oh my love, wait, where are you? Wait. Please don't go, please come back. So Usha had a friend, her name was Chitralekha. 
she was the daughter of the minister of Bhagavad And so, seeing her like that, speaking like that, so Chitralaka asked, hey, what happened, Usha? What are you talking about? Then Usha told him, told her about the dream. And she told like, oh, I feel so handsome. And I have, just by seeing him in a dream, I have fallen in love with her in such a way that I have accepted him as my Lord and Master. So Chitralekha, to please her friend, <coughs> she said, okay, let me see who that is. So Chitralekha had some wonderful qualities. She was an extremely good artist. So she started to paint different pictures of different illustrious personalities. Demigods, Gandharvas, Kinnaras, Daitas, Dhanavas, human beings. Is this the one? No. Is this the one? No. But then when Chitralekha showed Aniruddha's picture, Pradhumnasan, Usha's head dropped. She felt that her visible embarrassment just by seeing him made Chitralekha recognize, this is Krishna's grandson. So Chitralekha said, okay, don't worry, I'll get him. So as I say, Chitralekha had various mystic powers. She could fly through the space. So she flew to Dwarka, entered into Aniruddha's bedroom, where he was fast asleep. And in his sleep, Chitralekha carried him to the palace of to the inner chamber of Chitralekha, where no male is allowed. In that area, no male is not only allowed, but in that area, no man can even see it, this or There is no touch of a male member, apart from a close family member, like the father. That also is vocation. So Aniruddha was brought, and Aniruddha also, meeting Usha, fell in love with her. So, and Usha was extremely happy to find her lover with her. But after some time, the maidservants there started to notice the obvious sign of amorous relationship with a man in her. So they became afraid that 
what's happening? Like if anything is wrong, then the king will kill us. So they reported to the queen, her mother. And her mother also came and saw the obvious sign of her contact with the man. So she went and told her husband that she is displaying the signs that will bring disgrace to our family. So immediately Banasura came there, surrounded by his soldiers. And he found Aniruddha is playing dice with Usha. So he was enraged to see He ordered his soldiers, arrest him. So all the soldiers surrounded Aniruddha. But Aniruddha with a mess in hand finished them all. And few of them just ran away. So at that time, Banasura used the Nagpash, a chain that is caused by serpents, and bound Aniruddha, and put him into prison, in captivity. The news reached Krishna. Narad Muni reported. <laughs> Upon hearing that, Krishna immediately, along with Balaram and other Jadus, they came to Swamipur. And his army started to plunder that place. Banasura became extremely angry, so he came out. Then Lord Shiva also came out to because he was there to protect the city. So Lord Shiva uh, with Kartik, they started to fight the Jadus. And then <clears throat> finally, uh, after a long flight fight, uh, Lord Shiva was defeated. <laughs> and finally, Banasura came out himself. And he was attacked so severely by Krishna that he lost his chariot, he lost his weapon, everything was cut to pieces. And he was completely bewildered at that time in the middle of the battlefield. So her mother, Kutara, just came there to his rescue. To his rescue. She uh, stood there naked. And Krishna just shifted his glance if you want to see. So at that time, Banasura was taken into the city. But again, Banasura came out to attack Krishna. With his thousand hands, he was holding 500 arrows, 500 bows. And on each bow, he had two arrows. And he shot a thousand arrows to Krishna. 
Krishna cut those arrows and then after a terrible fight Krishna finally released his Sudarshan Chakra and Sudarshan Chakra started to cut Banasura's hand just as with a chainsaw you cut a branch of a tree. So at that time Lord Shiva came out and begged to Krishna, please forgive me. Please. And Krishna also agreed that yes, I don't want to kill him because I gave the words to Prahlad Maharaj that I will not kill any member of his family. But by the time Banasura's out of 1,000 hands, 996 hands were chopped off. He was left with four hands. In this way, his pride was vanquished. And then Panasura fell at Krishna's feet, begged forgiveness, and offered his daughter to Anirudha in marriage. So this is how another love story <laughs> is enacted in Krishna's pastimes. So, yeah, I told you that about Akshoyini. Okay, I didn't does anybody have a calculator? Okay. 21,870 chariots. 21,870 chariots. 21,870 elephants. Now multiply uh, 21,870 by 3, uh, 65,000, look at that, uh, 65,000, uh, then 21,870 multiplied by 5, 9,000, I mean 90,000, I'm sorry, 111 something, yeah. 109,000, yeah. 109,000, okay, so 21,870 chariots, 21,870 elephants, uh, 65,610 uh, cavalry soldiers, horse, and 109,000, whatever it is, <coughs> infantry. So all together is one action. Uh, 
Yeah, total will be total will be around two hundred and close to two hundred and twenty thousand. Not eighteen thousand. Two hundred two hundred nineteen thousand. Yeah, two hundred and eighteen thousand. Not not two hundred yeah, right, two hundred and eighteen thousand. That is twenty one thousand eight hundred and seventy multiplied by ten. <laughs> so that's one Akshav. So, okay, does anybody have any question? I'm keeping a lot of time for question answers because that is very meaningful. And, okay. Hi, Vishnu Guru Maharaj, thank you for the class. My question is, um, in the Bhagavad Gita, at the end of chapter 5, uh, Krishna says um, how he's the benefactor and well-wisher of all living entities, and um, he's the beneficiary of all sacrifices and austerities. And in the in the story that you told us of how Gargamuni was eating iron dust as his austerities, and you very kindly explained, Guru um could you please also explain how did Krishna get the benefit from this austerity of Gargamuni? How does Krishna derive the benefit from the austerity? Yes. You see, the austerities are there. You see, what is the, what are the austerities? Denying the body its material needs. Right? That's austerity. So that is actually an indicator that how much one is prepared to sacrifice this material, you know, material advantages, material benefits, material means for the sake of pleasing that personality. But ultimately Krishna doesn't really care for austerity so much. Sometimes he does, but generally Krishna cares only for devotion. In simple words, Krishna simply cares for love. Love of his devotees. When the devotees love Krishna, that is what pleases Krishna. Austerities, you see the aust again we can go back. This aust this austerities and things are meant for focusing the mind. You see what is happening with us. The consciousness is flowing through the mind through the senses. That is our existence, material Now, to withdraw them is done with a purpose to focus the consciousness into one point. The actual point is actually Krishna consciousness. Our main business is to withdraw the senses from the objects of the senses to be projected onto the core into the core of our hearts onto Krishna. That is the main objective. But people do it for other purposes also. Like say for example, for the sake of pleasing Lord Shiva or for the sake of pleasing Brahma. 
they perform austerities. Like, for example, Hiranyakashipu performed austerities to please Brahma. Now, those austerities can generate only material benefit. But austerities for pleasing Krishna or being focused on to Krishna gives a spiritual benefit. That means relationship with Krishna. But those relationships generated from austerity is in, in the middle of neutrality. But in neutrality there is no love actually. In neutrality there is awareness but no love. Love needs reciprocation. And that reciprocation begins with servitorship. Like servants, one is loving Krishna. And it goes deeper than servitorship is friendship. Deeper than friendship is parental. Deeper than parental is conjugal. So in this conjugal relationship, Krishna becomes so, so impressed that Krishna says, I can't repay you. No parayo. I cannot, I cannot reciprocate. I cannot repay. Because what you have given me, what you have done for me, what you have gone through for me is beyond me to repay. So, so that is what Krishna actually is impressed with. <clears throat> so the point is, from the devotees or from the living entities, all Krishna wants is love. He doesn't want anything else. So austerities and penances is okay, fine. <coughs> but there is no loving exchange. Love means exchange, loving reciprocation. Thank you very much. Sorry, I had one more question. Um, as you also explained, Guru Maharaj, that um, Gargamuni was performing the austerities to take revenge and because he wanted a son who could, well, become the troublemaker, but, which is not really Brahminical, it's not really a Brahminical characteristic, but the Brahminical characteristic is to forgive. So how can this be understood better? You have to understand this is pastimes. Through these pastimes, yes, Krishna is actually teaching something. As you say, uh, Gargamani realized it was his mistake. Because a Brahmana does, doesn't become revengeful. And here Gargamani did all that to take revenge. But uh, did he really take revenge? Could, could he really take revenge? So, okay, any other questions? Thank question? you so much. Hare Krishna. Um, I just wanted to ask, 
Buddhists believe that the way to end suffering is to stop craving and to follow the five noble paths. So how do we Hindus end suffering? Oh, come again. Say it again. Um, Buddhists believe. Say it, little, say it a slowly. Buddhists believe that the way to end suffering is to stop craving and to follow the five noble truths. So how five do noble truths. What are those noble truths? Not to kill, not to steal, not to use false speech. Um, not okay, good. So huh? how do we Hindus end suffering? This, this where did I get from? Oh, I learned it at school. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I was just, good, good. Huh? So which actually, what actually means to not act sinfully, but act in a pious way. So these are good actions. Good actions generate good result. And good result means enjoyment. And bad results means suffering. Right? So if you don't act in a wrong way, then you won't suffer. So now as you asked, what is Hindu take on that? Right? So the Hindu take on that is Bhagavad Gita is saying, you surrender unto Krishna and you'll become free from all your sinful reactions. That means no suffering. So you want to become free from suffering? Huh? Just surrender unto Krishna. And it will happen. And although they're coming up with all these moral principles, uh, don't, what, name again, these five things. Not to steal, not to kill. Not, not to, okay, fine. Not to steal. Now, who does everything belong to? Acha, now, what is the definition of stealing? To take something without asking. Right, very good. To take something without the permission of the owner. Now, who does everything belong to? Now, did they ask Krishna? <laughs> that can I please use this? Do they do that? So are they following them? Okay. They say, uh, not to kill. Uh, did you ever consider how many animals are being slaughtered in this culture? So in one hand they're saying, not kill, but the whole culture is based on cow killing. Right? So that means they're saying something without really understanding it or without any intention of following <coughs> Right? Now tell me what you are going to do. Um, okay, do you want to suffer? To Krishna. Huh? Surrender to Krishna. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. Um, you were speaking earlier, lunchtime, about, and um, yesterday as well, about um, how we can commit to Krishna consciousness and preach to others, and how you gave the example of Shiva Bhagavad left home and did this, even though he had a family. So, as a family household, as a Grihast, how can we do the preaching in the best way? Okay, can you leave home? Not at this stage. Not at this stage. Okay. And 
So, staying at home, are you meeting people? Uh, we have sanghas um, preaching book distribution door to door sometimes. Very good. So keep doing that and try to enhance it, make it better. Always try to improve it. So that is how you do the future. Okay. Thank you. And what I was like about to say, you don't have to leave home. Thank you. <laughs> because, uh, uh, you know, like, some have to leave home and some will. Uh, but that doesn't mean that everybody will have to leave home. Yeah, most of the people will be in household situation. Household situation means staying at home. And by staying at home, you can fulfill the responsibility. So that is what is needed. Right? Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. the stories you've just told us, um, Krishna's grandson went to Usha, isn't that immoral? And wasn't his father, uh, sorry, her father, correct to take offence? And where is the morality? Where is the? Morality? Well, for Kshatriyas, might is right. See, that is the Kshatriya. Like Kshatriya can steal a girl. Kshatriya can steal somebody's kingdom. Not steal in that way. Like we are seeing, Krishna is taking the princes away. So here, you see, the Kshatriyas are given some sort of license, you can say. And that is given to them. And, but others generally wouldn't do that. But um, if we are to understand from these stories, morals and you know, life lessons in the current stage, isn't it open to um, all kinds of abuses in that case? If the person wishes to... Um, it would have been abuse had the girl not been willing. But when both the parties are in agreement, then where is the consideration of abuse? Right? When Romeo fell in love with Juliet, <laughs> was it abuse? Okay, but um, I, I prefer to live my life um, in an honorable fashion, in a straightforward fashion. So should Usha not have gone to her parents and said, you know, told them what was happening, and that could have avoided all the bloodshed? <laughs> well, you have to ask Ushina. <laughs> As I said, you know, the Kshatriyas are given certain license. Because, you see, it's like this. The Brahmanas dominate by their intellect by their brain power. Kshatriyas dominate with their physical and military power. 
what they want, they get it. Like a lion. It, these are according to the modes of material nature. There are three modes of material nature. Those who are influenced by the mode of goodness, they develop certain characteristics. Those who are in the mode of passion, they develop some other kind of characteristic. Like for example, out of animals, the cows are in the mode of goodness. See how the cows behave. And a lion is in the mode of passion. So see the way the lion behaves. So the Vedic society is giving the freedom to act according to the modes, their natural modes or propensities that they developed. <coughs> propensities that they developed according to their modes. And, uh, and that's why in a one hand they are out, all out to enjoy. But you know, at the same time they are prepared to die. That's the Kratya's nature, influenced by the mode of, in being influenced by the mode of passion. And they have the responsibility, okay, you want to enjoy, you have to protect. Like in one hand, you want to enjoy princes, but at the same time, you have to protect the whole society. That is why it's called Kshatriya. Kshat means injury. Trayate means protect or give relief. Kshatat trayate iti kshatriya. He protects the society. See the warriors of Kshatriya warriors, you know, they were fearless. They were valiant. And for the sake of protecting the society, they would mind giving up their lives. So we have to see the total picture. And why didn't Usha do that? Probably she knew that her father will not approve. And besides that, probably she was so much in love, she didn't reason all that. All, I mean, <laughs> when, someone, when a young girl is in love, what happens? Does she reason? Huh? Love is blind. Probably she became blind too. <laughs> Not she, probably, she did become blind. And here comes her friend. Don't worry. So, you see, the whole atmosphere was not really conducive to that kind of mentality. That's great. I, um, but, but my point still is that in the current stage, if people, current situation... No, current stage, stage we can't do that. No. Right. Uh, but, but isn't that because in current days there is no room for kshatriyas. Uh, there is no room for kshatriyas. Democracy doesn't allow kshatriyas. You know, in current days, who are the kshatriyas? Mafias. Yes. <laughs> and they are kshatriyas. Uh, they are really kshatriyas, but the society doesn't allow them. Uh, so the mafias, at least, you know, the early mafias, they had a very strict moral code. You submit to me, you pay the tax, and I'll protect you. Even at the cost of my life. 
that is scripture truth. Okay. okay, Hare Krishna. You give it to me. Yeah. The, uh, the Lord's pastimes demonstrate that all the boons which demigods give to worshippers, you know, they all seem to sort of cause a lot of trouble. <laughs> why, why, why is that? And are our demigods unwise to some extent? Yeah. The thing is, you see, when they are not Krishna conscious, they end up causing trouble. This actually, okay, it will come to that in the later part of Srimad Bhagavatam. A question actually came up. Parikshit Maharaj asked, Krishna possesses everything. He, uh, he is the most opulent. <clears throat> but how come Krishna's devotees are poor? <laughs> Whereas Lord Shiva doesn't have possess anything. He doesn't have a place to stay. He doesn't even have clothes to wear. <laughs> he is uh, he's completely you know, bereft of any opulence. But his devotees are opulent. Why is that? Isn't it a paradox? <laughs> that Krishna's devotees are poor, who owns everything, and Shiva's devotee, who himself doesn't own anything. <coughs> so, in that respect, Shukdev Goswami gave the example. I mean, he explained that Krishna's devotees don't want anything. They simply want Krishna, they want to love him, they want to serve him. That is the attitude of Krishna's devotee. Because they know that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He is already maintaining, providing them with everything that they need. So why separately ask anything from him? Whereas Lord Shiva is very quickly pleased. Therefore, demons take advantage of that. Very quickly pleasing Shiva, they get some boom to fulfill their desire. But those fulfillment of those desires do not benefit them. It ends up causing them distress. And in that respect, he gives the example of a demon called Brikasura. Brikasura was cutting the flesh from his body and offering it to the fire to please Krishna, please Shiva, Lord Shiva. But when Lord Shiva didn't come, he was about to cut off his head and offer it to the fire. So then Lord Shiva came and said, what do you want? So he said, give me the boon that upon whosoever heads I would place my hand, hand uh, he would immediately die. His head would crack in thousand pieces. 
See, Lord Shiva gives the boon without considering. He's pleased. Oh, you have done so much for me. Okay. What do you want? Granted. But then this Brikasura, he said, Is it true? You did you really give me the benediction? So let me see whether it works. So he wanted to put his hand on Lord Shiva's hand. So Lord Shiva ran. And so he was into, so seeing his condition, Krishna assumed the form of a little boy. And he stood on the way and asked Brikasura, Hey, why are you running like this? So Brikasura said, See, after so much distress and trouble, I got this boon. And why he gave me the boon, but when I tried to test it, He's running away from me. So that this is the point that he was making, Sukadeva Swami is making. That, you see, Krishna's devotee's relationship with Krishna is based on love. Whereas Lord Shiva's so-called devotees, they simply want their desires fulfilled, their mission, their desire fulfilled. And for that, after getting the boon, they don't mind even to destroy Lord Shiva. So, that is the point. And it is also said, Krishna Bhakta Nishkam Atoyip Shanto. Devotee of Krishna doesn't have any desire besides serving Krishna. Therefore, he is completely peaceful. But Bhukti Mukti Shiddhi Kami Shakuri Shanto. Those who want to enjoy material nature, those who want to become liberated from material bondage, and those who want to achieve mystic power through yoga, they all are perturbed, ashanta. Okay. Do you have questions for me? Uh, just never mind. Uh, this is kind of like a follow-on question from Prabhu's because I, I also was thinking about this. Uh, the statement is generally made how uh, the devotees of Krishna are poor and then the devotees of Shiva. Okay, I didn't, yeah, yeah, that point also I didn't complete. Devotees of Krishna are not poor. You see, not to have any desire and not having something are two different things. Right? Poor means when he wants something but he doesn't have it. That is poverty. Like a per say for a person for a person, a person who is in the Himalayan mountain cave, in a cave of Himalayan mountain, performing austerities, meditating for so many years. Devoid of anything material. Is he poor? If you can't go and tell him that I'll make you the CEO of my <laughs> do you think he'll accept that offer? So that's the difference. And in that respect, there is another very beautiful incident also. Krishna came to 
Kurukshetra on the occasion of solar eclipse. And then the cow, the, the, the residents of Vrindavan kidnapped Krishna. So the news reached Dwarka. And Rukmini Devi was furious that they dared to kidnap the prince. So she took the army, surrounded Vrindavan, sieged Vrindavan, arrested the residents of Vrindavan. And now she is going to punish them for this crime of kidnapping the prince. As it is, kidnapping is a big <coughs> crime. And kidnapping the prince, can you imagine what kind of crime it is, what kind of offense it is. So they would be punished. And so the judgment has to be there. So the public prosecutor is Narad Muni. <laughs> and defense lawyer is Lalita Devi. And so uh, their point is we did kidnap. Kidnap is when uh, you take somebody against his will. But here, we are not kidnapping, we are assisting Krishna to fulfill his desire. He wanted to come, that's why we brought him here. So case was dismissed. <laughs> but then there was a consideration. Rukmini Devi wondered, in Dwarka all the opulence is there. Everything is available in Dwarka. There is nothing that Krishna cannot get in Dwarka. Then, but why Krishna's heart is always in Vrindavan? She admitted that during the daytime Krishna is always absent-minded, as if his mind is something. <laughs> and at night he dreams, in dreams he goes to Vrindavan. They could hear Krishna calling out to the cow. Cowherd boys, cowherd girls, Nanda Maharaj. So they knew that in a dream Krishna went to Vrindavan. So that she admitted that you know, Krishna's mind is always in Vrindavan. But she wondered what is there in Vrindavan? It's just a forest. Now why Krishna is so attracted to Vrindavan? Then she was told by Lalita Devi. Actually, in Vrindavan, the land is made of Chintamani. The Chintamani can fulfill any desire. This forest here is full of desire trees. This forest is made of not ordinary trees, desire trees. One tree that desire tree can fulfill all your desire. Now it's a forest of desire. The cows here that Krishna, that are there in Vrindavan, they are all Surabhi cows. One Surabhi cow can fulfill all desires. So, residents of Vrindavan could get 
whatever they wanted. <coughs> but they don't care for anything else but Krishna. All they want is simply to serve Krishna, love Krishna. Therefore, they don't have any other desire. That's why Vrindavan is still a forest. Vrindavan Vrindavan Krishna is tending the cows. So what is that that attracts Krishna so much? Is the love of the devotee. And Krishna, although he is self-satisfied, Krishna is Atmaram. He is he doesn't need anything to enjoy. But Krishna needs one thing. Krishna is hungry. Krishna is craving for one thing. That is love. That you have to get from your lover. Can you get love from yourself? No. To love, it has to be party to yourself. Now you understand why the devotees are poor. Ravisha? <laughs> Earlier on, didn't we say that there were two Krishnas? Krishna for Dwarka, Krishna for Vrindavan. So how does this story fit in? Which one? The, the one you just related. Okay. Yeah. The kidnapping. That Krishna of Dwarka is dying to go to Vrindavan. That's the difference. You see, the reality is Krishna of Vrindavan is the original Supreme Personality of God. And his first expansion is Vasudeva. This is expansion. There is no difference but expansion. But as an expansion, Vasudev is not getting what is there in Vrindavan. That's why he's hankering for going to Vrindavan. Thank you. Hare Krishna. One more question. Sorry, Grimaj, so many questions. Um, this is a, a question from another devotee. Um, why not Rukmini Devi next to Krishna? Why doesn't Rukmini? Why, why isn't Rukmini Devi next to Krishna? Why is Radharani next to Krishna? Yeah, I think I answered it this morning. The answer to that is, <clears throat> in Vrindavan, emotion is prominent. Whereas in Dwarka, intelligence is prominent. So Radharani is the embodiment of emotion and Rukmini Devi or rather Chandravali is intelligence. So therefore their role changed here. Their roles changed. In Vrindavan Radharani is prominent in Dwarka. Rukmini Devi who is Chandravali is prominent. 